Welcome to Color Country Politics, where we discuss all the important political issues facing Iron County, Utah. Our guests include elected officials and community leaders in or representing Iron County. This is episode 67, 2021 Legislative Preview. Hey everybody, welcome back to Color Country Politics. We are so excited to have our very first episode of 2021, which is going to be fabulous. Trust me. And we are really excited today. We've got Senate Majority Leader, newly elected again, Senate Majority Leader Evan Vickers with us here today to give us kind of a preview before he heads up for the first session of 2021. There's a lot going on. There is. And uh, Jenny, there will be, there's a lot of, a lot of things that we're going to be dealing with that are different, uh, you know, from COVID and how we're going to handle that at the Capitol and how the session's going to be, what it's going to look like differently than what it does in the past. We've got a new governor, new lieutenant governor. Uh, we've got uh, new policies to consider, some that are stemming from the pandemic and Others that are dealing that have been sitting on the books or sitting in the waiting for some time. And now that we have a new governor can move forward. So, yeah, there is a lot we can talk about. I don't know where you want to start, but I'm (laughs) glad to just dive in. Well, you know, let's kind of dive in with the new governor, the new lieutenant governor. What's your your sense of of sort of what shifts are going to happen? What's going to be different, um, you know, policy wise, budget wise, uh, relative to what we because. Governor Herbert has been great for our state. Um, it, do you think that Governor Cox is going to have his own policies, do his own thing? Yeah, and we're already seeing some of that. So obviously the Lieutenant Governor, being Governor Cox now, but as Lieutenant Governor working with Governor Herbert, he was very, they were very closely tied. And you're right, Governor Herbert, even though he's taken a lot of criticism, if you think back, he came in in the downturn in 2009, mm-hmm. he goes out in the pandemic of 2020, right. you know? So anyway, but in the meantime, he's done an awful lot of good work. And uh, Governor Cox, you we're already seeing some signs there's going to be some differences. Number one, there has not been a house cleaning, and he this was his words to me, in 16 years in the yeah. governor's office. Mm-hmm. And he has made significant changes in his cabinet. You're seeing that filter all the way through. And, Quite a few of the people that were there are no longer there, mm-hmm. and new people are moving in, and not, and so we're seeing that's that's the first notice that we've seen. Um, we also have a new lieutenant governor, Deidre Henderson, who was in the Senate with me. She and I actually went into the Senate together, and a very close friend, and I have the utmost admiration for her mm-hmm. and her abilities. She, we're already seeing signs that he, as governor, Governor Cox, will be using the lieutenant governor more in policy decisions. She told me the other day that she's been tapped as the person to negotiate with us with the legislature on policy. So that's new. That's I think that's past. a smart move. In the I, past, I, I really like terms. her a lot. Yeah, yeah. she's so, fantastic. You know, obviously she has ties and the governor has ties to the legislature. Mm-hmm. He was in the House mm-hmm. uh, when I was in the Senate. So uh, that's the first sign. There's also signs of differences in the way he's going to go about things. So, for example, he announced today that he's changing how the vaccine is going to roll out. He's going to start, uh, you know, we're going through the process of giving it to our healthcare workers and then, but also in the educators. 
And then the next step, starting next week, people at 75 and 70 or 75 and older will start receiving the vaccine. Wow. So that's that's moving that time frame up at least a month. Okay. And so there's some changes there. Um, how, just let me ask you just real quick. How do people take advantage of that? What's the what's the mechanism to get that vaccine out to people? Currently, because the vaccines are distributed based on a population. Mm-hmm. So I think it's 1% population, you know, the, so each state gets a proportionate amount based on their population. Okay. So right now we've been getting 32,000 doses a week, 16,000 from Pfizer, 16,000 from Moderna. Mm-hmm. And as their, as their supply ramps up, then we will start to see more. Okay. And in fact, one of our pharmacies, Township's going to be administering the vaccine. Okay. So we're, we're already, they're already doing the book work so that when that's available in place, they can start doing that. So okay. I, that's why I'm a little more aware of that okay. than maybe it's some. Good. But, Thank you. So is that so that's a change. Uh, also, you know, Governor Cox comes from rural Utah, you know, lives in Fairview. Uh, and I got to tell you, that's a big thing for him to have to move from Fairview to the, the governor's mansion in right. Salt Lake City. And, right. him, and he's he's still got family members at home. And he has a son attending SUU here. And and so with that, uh, he's going to have a southern Utah office. He has said that in his campaign that he wanted to reach out to rural Utah. And so he is going to have a Southern Utah office on the campus of SUU. Steve Lizenby, who is an employee with uh, SUU, but is also going to be doing uh, rural economic development work for the governor, will be working out of that office, as will uh, former Mayor John Pike of St. George, who is the new insurance commissioner. He will be commuting up from St. George to work out of that office. Also, many of uh, the members of Governor Cox's staff will be coming to Cedar City and meeting periodically, including the governor and lieutenant governor, will be coming down on a periodic basis. Uh, I think their goal is once a month. We'll see you know, how that goes. Yeah. But. I just don't think it can be overstated how significant that is for mm-hmm. rural Utah, especially southern Utah, where we are, to have that kind of connection. That's a huge deal, I think. It is, you know, and, and he has emphasized also economic development in rural Utah. He's talking, you know, and you'll see his budget rolled out. In fact, Monday he is he's rolling out his budget from Cedar City. And, That's incredible. And announcing and introducing this uh, Southern Utah office. And uh, in his budget, uh, obviously, the Senate leadership, we've sat down with the governor and gone over his budget. But you will see a uh, significant uh, emphasis on rural economic development. And and he's proposing some things that are quite unique that have never done before. You know, we've had we've had, for example, this one example. We've had rural, um, we've had uh, revolving loan funds for water projects. Mm. He's proposing a revolving loan fund for rural infrastructure projects. Wow! And so you know, some cities and towns are small enough that they can't gather up enough revenue, enough sources to take care of streets and roads, mm-hmm. you know, they, they could apply for some of those grants, uh, broadband and, you know, you know, the internet going to rural Utah, that's a big emphasis you'll see from him. So we're already starting to see some of the signs that, you know, coming out of his, his thoughtful production, you know, and he really put a significant team together of, of very influential and very unique people braced uh, broadly across the state mm-hmm. to advise him on a lot of different things. And, I was pretty impressed with the yeah. people that he reached out to mm-hmm. quite diverse 
in background and experience and, and location. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was really impressed with, with how quickly he got that going and tapped into those um, expertise. Yeah. So I think, you know, every, I see criticism, you know, from social media and other things, oh, he's just another Herbert and, you know, and they're the same. And I think you're going to see right out of the gate that that's not the case mm-hmm. that you'll see some significant differences one is Governor Cox is, is really eloquent and when he presents and when he speaks and and uh, he's very personable mm-hmm. and likable and him and his wife are just wonderful people. Yeah. Same with Deidre and her husband. Yeah. Just wonderful people. So, yeah. you know, I'm I'm excited, quite frankly, not only because I have close ties with them, you know, which is helpful for our area, but just because I am really they're quality people. Yeah, so. I agree. I agree. So other than that rural emphasis, what else do you see coming out of his budget? What other policies are going to be important? What else is coming at you in the legislature? So budget-wise, we'll probably have to wait until Monday when he rolls out his Mm -hmm. whole budget. Um, He has, you'll probably see, uh, you know, recommendations on tax cuts. Mm -hmm. You know, there's been a lot of talk about trying to do uh, a cut for social security, you know, maybe up or up the ramp on that. Mm-hmm. Um, some, the, the dependent tax credit that part of that went away with the Trump tax right. law, mm-hmm. trying to restore some of that on the state side, even, you know, potential for like military people who mm-hmm. live in the state have some mm-hmm. income tax breaks there and possibly even a, an overall income tax reduction. So okay. those, those things are all be on the table. You have to understand the governor's budget is the governor's budget. You know, it's not the legislature's budget. (laughs) Constitutionally, the legislature is the one that passes the budget. So, and in the past, we've kind of joked, well, thanks a lot. That's a great start. But, you know, know, quite frankly, uh, he has done a really, really good job. And quite frankly, Governor Herbert did too. Yeah. You know, but uh, Governor Cox is doing a really good job with his budget. And I think when he he rolls that out. There'll be some things that uh, will be eye, eye-catching, and be, and he's he has a big emphasis on ed- education. Mm-hmm. Quite frankly, we already put a chunk yeah. of money into education. Yeah. We we've already committed to raise the WPU six percent. Wow. You know, and so we've already committed. You know, we made a lot of commitments with the education community in trying to get the amendment passed right. to allow us to use more money out of income tax, out of the education fund to go to health, health and human services issues. Yeah. And, and quite frankly, the legislature has already put our money where our mouth was. Yeah. Right Just really quickly, because that's a lot to unpack in those, in those last few sentences. So just really quickly, will you kind of take us through income tax versus sales tax, why that's important? Yeah. It, Probably everybody who's wonky enough to be listening to this podcast already knows it, but why is that significant? So in the state of Utah, we have essentially these two sources of funds and there's multiple, but you know, there's, you know, you have your dedicated fees and credits and those things and federal funds, but the primary tax funds that we use to fund the state are the income tax fund, which by constitution all goes to education with the exception of some going to higher ed. And now with this recent past, some going to health and human services. Then the general fund is funded through sales tax. And it's been a very unique year. We can talk about that with COVID. Uh, it was not what we originally expected. And, uh, but those two funds, so general fund primarily funds all of your traditional things that are, when you think about like law enforcement, Anything non 
education related. That's oh, what infrastructure, funds. roads, law enforcement, anything. Yeah, else. the gas tax obviously goes to transportation, mm-hmm. you know, and those things. But when you're talking about, you know, Medicaid, mm-hmm. health and human services, you know, those things, that all comes out of general fund, with the exception of this amount that we've now allocated from the education fund. Education fund stays with education, both higher and public ed. And that continues to be the biggest chunk of our budget. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, Medicaid a close second. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so those, that's where those funds come. You have to kind of keep those buckets separate. Right. And uh, that's why it was so important to pass that constitutional amendment. Thank you for doing that. We appreciate that. It gives us a lot more flexibility in working with the budget. And, uh, and we, I think in the future, we'll see this good thing. Now, yeah. like I said, we did make commitments to the education community that if we were to get that passed, we would put a bunch of money in. We have. So 6% of the WPU is huge. That's a big deal. On a yeah. normal year, yeah. 3%, 3.5%, wow. mm-hmm. you know, and some years it's been as, as low as one and a half, mm-hmm. you know, and some years, it's, you know, we've approached four or five in the last few years, but we haven't done six. Mm-hmm. So that's big. We've also, uh, there's going to be a $1,500 one-time, um, I don't know if you want to call it a bonus, but at least a, a stipend check that will go to every teacher in the state and $1,000 to every staff member Wow! in okay. education. So okay. that's that's a big chunk of money. That's one-time money. That's just money that's being spent one time, but, you know, is a, you know, is a thank you to them for what they've gone through to help educate our kids. Right. In those right. That's great. And I just want to make one other clarification. A WPU is a weighted pupil unit. Yeah. So that's the, the, the basic funding mechanism for public education. So each child carries so many, this WPU with mm-hmm. them. And whatever that value is, it tra- it goes with them. And so the the more students we have and the higher the WPU, the more it costs us. Mm-hmm. You know, and we we fund growth and education. We've we've all we've been a state, one of the few states, by the way, that our our public ed students uh, continue to grow every yeah. year. And uh, <laughs> you know, this year we've allocated fifty million dollars in growth. Wow. So that's nuts. Yeah. Well, you had brought up uh, COVID. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about COVID. Um, how is that shaping what's going on at the legislature? How is that shaping policy? How is it shaping the actual, like the, the physical meetings and things that are happening at the Capitol? And, you know, and thank you. There's a lot of things related to that. Number one, the session will be different because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, during the in the interim and we, these special sessions we've had, you've seen some of that already happening. We've seen we've we've gone from virtual from in per, everything in person to having to all virtual, and then now we're to kind of a hybrid. You've got people present and people online. That'll continue into the session. Okay. So the capital will be open. Uh, it'll be more limited. Uh, there will not be any events no group gatherings, uh, things like that inside the Capitol. Um, Any of the rallies, the protests, demonstrations, those kind of things are all going to have to occur on the outside Mm -hmm. of the Capitol just because of the the nature of the spread and the COVID. Legislators and staff, interns, we will all be tested twice a week with a rapid test. Oh, wow. Um, Then we're trying to get all of our staff vaccinated. Quite frankly, and I don't know, maybe the public can give me input on this. We mm-hmm. even there, there's good argument to vaccinate legislators and because they need to do the job, mm-hmm. but but uh, we felt like that, that this wasn't appropriate from a PR standpoint. Yeah. So we're not going to do that. 
people coming into the Capitol will not be required to be tested, mm-hmm. at least at this point. Uh, and quite frankly, let me back up and say, everything I'm telling you right now is subject to change tomorrow because <laughs> there's so many things that could change yeah. the dynamics of this, yeah. you know, an outbreak, you know, something, yeah. you know, the widespread vaccination, you know, all things can change. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but we are trying to, to get a, the health department to put a testing site at the Capitol. So people coming in like lobbyists and others that may want to come in that would like to be tested can be tested. Okay. I know the lobbying community is concerned about COVID and they would like to be able to have the same kind of testing capability that we are going to mm-hmm. as legislators and staff. And so I wouldn't be, if we were successful in that, I wouldn't be surprised to see most of the lobbyists being tested twice a week as well. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. The galleries will be different. So for example, the house is not going to allow the public in the galleries. Oh, no kidding. There'll be places for family and, uh, and that'll be limited as well. Wow. And media. Uh-huh. On the Senate side, we are going to keep one side available for the public. It'll be, but it'll be limited, you know, not as many people, um, as far as the, we have taken, made the decision that the Senate chamber will be a bubble, mm. you know, similar to what, you know, the NBA and others have mm-hmm. done. So anybody entering that bubble will be number one limited. So we'll have legislators, staff, interns. And right now, at least we're only going to allow spouses or significant others. Okay. And then, so, sorry, Jenny, you can't come see me this year. Oh, <laughs> that was the best day ever. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and anybody that's coming into that bubble will either need to be tested or have immunity from either okay. having the virus or a, a vaccination. So, okay. So that'll be different. Uh, we are going to, and this is a point that the public should know, and we've had people from down here say prayers. We have a prayer every morning in the Senate, and we'll be doing that again, but we'll be doing those virtual. So, oh, okay. You know, so if there's people out there... Any religious leaders or others that would like to be included in that, contact me. Interesting. Okay, that's great. That's great. Uh, So that's kind of different. The committee meetings will be, we've remodeled uh, significantly in the Capitol to get some larger committee rooms. So for example, the Senate building where the cafeteria was is no longer a cafeteria. It is now two large committee rooms where the public can come and be socially distanced as well as legislators that are there. And then the old state office building, uh, the one floor of that where the state auditorium was, is also remodeled for two big committee rooms. So we're trying to allow for the public to come in that would like to. Mm-hmm. So we'll still have people, if they'd like to come in and testify in a committee, they can, but there's still an option to do it online. Okay. And we've got better at that as the summer has gone on, the interim has gone on. We're finding better ways to do that and making sure that we're getting more public input. That's the one catch, you know, with this whole scenario with COVID is that one of the most important parts of piece of legislation as it goes through the process is having adequate public right. input. Right, yeah, yeah. And so I don't know if, if it starts to look like that we're not getting that adequate public input, we may back off on the number of bills that go through and wow. try to ratchet okay. that back. I think there's going to be some natural ratcheting back just because of the process itself. But, uh, you know, quite frankly, I hope we don't pass 500 bills. Yeah, (laughs) that's it's a lot. It's a lot. So what is the process for the public to get educated on what is happening and to weigh in? I'm sure all of this stuff is going to be broadcast. You're going to have cameras up, I assume. Yes. And and so if if uh, say in a normal session, 
Um, you know, somebody could go in and, 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 and send a text or uh, send a blue paper or a blue sheet or, you know, mm-hmm. what's the mechanism that people can let the legislators know their thoughts on any given topic? Great question. Uh, you're right. You know, you've been there. You've seen these blue notes and green notes. The green notes go to the House, uh-huh. the blue notes go to the Senate, and people stand out in the hall. If they've got a question for a legislator, like somebody has a question for me, they write it on a piece of paper, a blue note, and then the sergeant arms takes it in and it gets passed to me. Those are gone this year. Yeah. <laughs> that, But our contact information and our preferred contact information will be out in front of the chamber. Okay. So people can uh, reach out to us. If they're in the Capitol, they can reach out to us through a text. For example, I just t- confirmed with my staff this morning how we're going to do it. I'll have... I have a government cell phone that uh, that my intern will have. That will be present. Her her uh, phone number will also be there, and then my email address. And okay. so so we can monitor those, and so fairly quickly, and have people you know reach out to us. The public really can you can do the same exact thing from home, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, my my cell and my email is, is on the website, so you can go there. So you can you can send those text messages or emails uh, just from home. I'll be interested to see if people actually feel like they're more engaged because mm-hmm. it's it, it's so normal now to do a Zoom meeting, mm-hmm. to be, you know, not in the same place at the same time. So I wonder if yeah. more people will take advantage of that and if you'll get more input possibly because people will be paying attention and, and, and be able to take advantage of those mechanism. It's possible. I think, you know, we will have a lot more um, virtual meetings, you know, mm-hmm. those one-on-one meetings with constituents and advocates and things. Uh, the The downside is, is the, and the thing that I'm not looking forward to is, is for example, every year, you know, uh, a lot of teachers from Iron County come mm-hmm. up and visit mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. school kids. Yeah. See, I can't do that this yeah. year. You know, that's yeah. sad. Yeah. Uh, you know, and those types of things, we're going to miss out on those kind of things. Yeah. And Realtor Day on the Hill. Yes. You're going to miss that yes, a lot. Yes, we are. <laughs> that, that great lunch, you know, <laughs> you know, those things, but they're yeah. gone, you know, unfortunately, and you bring that up, yeah. the, all the events, yeah. you know, the sponsored events, they're all gone this year. And know? that's too bad. It and is. I, I, I recognize the, the reasons behind it, but I, that's such a, a great connection that constituents and, and groups have with their legislators at Really, really sad that yeah. it can't happen this year. And it's going to be more and more important that uh, groups like yours, yeah. like the realtors and others, that and Pharmacy Day on the Hill, you know, <laughs> right. that they, but you reach out to your legislators, yeah. you know, through a different mechanism, okay. you know, to make sure that as policy comes through, mm-hmm. it needs to be discussed and you have a, and have a, you know, a purview on it that yeah. you can make sure that we know what that opinion is. Invitation accepted. Okay. <laughs> I don't worry about you. You're You're good at that. (laughs) Okay. Let's talk about some of the other stuff that you think is going to come at you this legislative session. Um, You know, you talked about the emergency powers. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be kind of a big deal. It is. And uh, so through this pandemic, there's been a lot of confusion. There's been a lot of uh, consternation and frustration over what the governor has done as far as executive mm-hmm. mandates. And the, the couple of challenges, one is our laws on, on pandemic emergency response go back to 1953. Right. And, and there's some conflicting language in the code, but the bottom line is really the governor had could do whatever he wanted. And wow. so could the health department. 
And, uh, you know, I, I, there were for, for one a period of time and I still get some of the messages, but you know, you know, you've got to convene and pass this resolution. Well, okay. So here's the challenge. If we don't like what the governor's doing, we convene in a special session, we pass a resolution that stops him from doing that. Unfortunately, in the current code, there was nothing from preventing him the next day to do the exact same thing or saying, okay, I won't do it, but I'm going to have the Department of Health do it. Okay. And so these were the challenges that we've been facing. And then the other challenge was that everybody was listening to the national news, mm-hmm. what was going on in other states, California and here and there, and mandates that were going on other places. And they were trying to tell us that we were doing the same thing in Utah when absolutely was false. Right. And so that was a real troubling and really a hard thing to deal with for me personally as a legislator when my constituents were, you know, demanding that we stop these mandates and close businesses. And we're like, but we haven't closed those businesses, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, and even when the mandates were put out, there was confusion about the, the penalties. You know, for example, uh, Sheriff Carpenter, who I love, yeah. uh, said he's not going to enforce them. Challenge was there was nothing for him to enforce right. because the way the mandate was done, it was actually the Department of Commerce that right. was actually charged with doing any kind of mandate or any enforcement. And even that enforcement was minimal. Mm-hmm. So there was so much confusion yeah. about that whole thing and that whole mess. And I so, think he kind of got backed into a corner. Yeah. On that one too. You know, and, and it's, it's fine, you know, and, and the way it worked out, it was great. And, yeah. But going forward, we have had, we have been, I want you to know, the public to know that we have been working, when I say we and uh, the legislature, we've had a, a group in the Senate, which I was asked uh, by the Senate president to head up. And so there's myself, Senator Bramble, Senator Andrig, then Senator Henderson, uh, Senator Escamilla, and Senator Yamoto, working with Representative Peterson, Representative Hawks, Representative Snow, and some others in the House working on what we could craft as far as an emergency powers bill. Because number one, it's a really, really complicated piece of legislation mm-hmm. and a piece of policy. Yeah. And number two, we've got to have adequate public input. And it's really ironic that many of the same people who were attacking us with tax reform for not having enough public input, I'm getting letters and messages from those same people saying, you got to meet right now and change that policy. Well, that's not the right way to go about right. it. So this yeah. will be a general session bill. Good, good. And uh, in fact, I've got to leave here in about 20 minutes to go back and meet about emergency powers okay. with the House on the emergency powers. So, okay. And it appears right now that myself and Representative Peterson will be the sponsors of the bill. Okay. And so as that goes forward, we, we are looking at narrowing it down and, and we're working with the executive branch. They recognize there needs to be some modifications. Mm-hmm. Our, you know, my goal, and I think the goal of everyone that's involved with it is to find a, a good balance that works for everybody, yeah. that allows for some just common sense yeah. approach to it. Also, uh, anything that uh, are one of the guiding principles we have on that is anything that works on a state level should work on a local level. Mm-hmm. So for example, the we're, we're going to require the health department and the governor's office to work with the legislature, the legislative body. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do the same thing on a local level that the local health department work with the county commissions, uh, you know, on the same thing. So, yeah. so 
we're trying to mesh this all together and get it right. Yeah. And as we go forward and I feel really good about where we're going. That's so. good. We had Dr. Blodgett on uh, a couple months ago and he had mm-hmm. expressed some frustration and, and kind of what you're, you're talking about is, you know, the chain of command wasn't necessarily clear and there was it, people sort of inserting themselves and, mm-hmm. and, and, and do they have authority? Do they not have authority? No one was really yeah. sure. So that's yeah. good. And he's great, by the way. I really Isn't he though? Yeah. yeah. He's really, really, he's, He's, he's taken a lot of heat over this mm-hmm. stuff. And I think he's born it well. He's just a, a steady as they come. He's a great guy. You know, and we're trying to take the, the lens on that, that we're looking, we're not looking at necessarily this pandemic, but we're looking at the next one, which right. could be next year. could be 20 years, could be a hundred yeah. years. Yeah. We don't know. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to do it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. There was one other thing that you had brought up. Uh, you talked about constitutional carry. Yeah. So that's, that's been hitting the press this week. Mm-hmm. And so we've, so we actually passed a constitutional carry bill a number of years ago. And constitutional carry simply means that you do not have to have a concealed weapon permit to conceal a weapon. Right now in the state of Utah, you can open carry. You can put a gun on your hip or AK on your back and right. walk around, which we've seen in pictures. Yes. Uh, but if you're going to conceal that weapon under a coat or a jacket, uh, you have to have a concealed weapon permit, which I do. Back then, it was it was vetoed by the governor, mm. and then the, during the override question, the concealed weapon permit holder says, "Look, we really like where we're at," mm-hmm. and so we ended up not overriding that veto. And we've had attempts in the past to to do a constitutional carry bill. Mm-hmm. Governor Herbert has always uh, threatened to veto it. Mm. Governor Cox has said that he will support it. Wow. Okay. And Lieutenant Governor Henderson. So I talked to the sponsor of that bill, Representative Brooks from St. George yesterday, and he said, yes, we're in a good spot. We're moving forward. I'm working with the governor's office. So what that would mean is that you could then, and and I've had, and, and here's another confusing piece of message. I've got a message today that said, you need to do away with a concealed carry permit in the state of Utah. Well, you don't understand if we did away with that, that means that you could not go out of state and carry a concealed weapon. Right. So if you want to go out of state, you need to have a concealed concealed weapon permit. So the proposal from Representative Brooks would be that would have a constitutional carry so that you could conceal your weapon in the state of Utah by, you know, legally. And whether you had a concealed weapon permit or not, that we would we would leave that concealed weapon permit policy in place for those that choose to go out of state and, and, and you want to consider, have a concealed carry there. That's great. That's great. And I expect that to pass. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's really cool. I'm glad for that. Okay. That's, that's what I have on my checklist. Is there anything else that you want to, to talk to your people about? So let me tell you some of the things with related to COVID that we didn't expect. Um, and I think, you know, in our own businesses and other businesses, and this hasn't played out for everybody, there have been some business segments that have been hit really hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you think about event organizers, yeah. those types of things, yeah. wedding reception yeah. centers, and mm-hmm. uh, you talk about a lot of tourism, mm-hmm. you know, has been hit. Mm-hmm. Um, restaurants in the Salt Lake Valley that were under that Salt Lake County, more restricted mandate right. have been hurt. Um, but a lot of businesses have flourished during COVID too. And it's it's really interesting with the money coming from the federal government into the state, a lot of that money was put into spending. Mm-hmm. And so 
our sales tax has been up mm -hmm. significantly, much better, more than we expected. Yeah. And so because of that, you know, our revenues are higher. Income tax is, is up. Now, some of that we recognize is kind of a one-time thing and we're, we're playing that accordingly. Mm -hmm. I found out yesterday that, or Wednesday, that Utah is the only state in the union that actually budgets based on ongoing money and one time. We separate those out. So money that we expect to get every year, like income tax or dedicated fees, we put in our, the ongoing money pile mm -hmm. and say, okay, we can base, we can, so we can start a new program and base it on this because we know we're going to have that money. One time is money that we just don't, that we thought we were just going to get the one time. And that was it, mm -hmm. you know? And so we're the only state that does that. A lot of states will start a program based on their overall budget, thinking they've got this money here, but then next year they find out that isn't That's there. there yeah. So now what do they do? Yeah. So our revenues are up some, and we're, you know, we're, we're looking at some projects and things to uh, continue to have some ongoing rainy day funds. We're maxing out our rainy our constitutional rainy day funds, but we also have what is called a working rainy day fund. It's kind of a unique concept to Utah, very innovative, and it works really well. We take money that is considered ongoing, and we put it into one-time projects. Mm. And so let's say we build a building with it, and we next year we find out that uh, we need that money for something over here mm -hmm. in the program. We can pull that back, and mm -hmm. it's still there. So mm -hmm. it's kind of a working rainy fund. If that, if that doesn't materialize, then we can build another project with mm -hmm. it, or we can do something else with it on a one-time basis. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, so those are things that that we didn't expect. And we also are very, very careful in budgeting and recognizing that, uh, you know, all those cars and four-wheelers and ATVs that were bought probably aren't going to be bought next year. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In fact, I'm waiting for next year to buy the used ones, right. <laughs> you know, when <laughs> people right. start having to make those payments. That's you know? right, yeah. But uh, those, so that's, that's been a unique year from a budget perspective. Interesting. Yeah. That is really interesting. Yeah. yeah. And to your point, I mean, there's, there have been so many businesses that have been just devastated. Mm -hmm. um, but again, there's so many that, you know, anything that has to do with people coming into our state from other states that are shut down where mm -hmm. we're mostly open or people who are just getting sick of, you know, being where mm -hmm. they are. I mean, uh, that Brian had on New Year's Day had probably five times more people than I have mm -hmm. ever seen up there. Wow. It was it it was just crazy. Keep going to Brian Head. That was just a one time thing. It's still great up there, yeah. everybody. <laughs> Housing, construction, yeah. you know those things. Uh, obviously, any any type of a moving vehicle mm -hmm. seems to sell mm -hmm. as soon as it hits the yeah. lot. Yeah, you know, exactly, exactly. So yeah, that's that's interesting stuff, and I, I guess it's good that you've got a little bit more and I mean that's not a bad problem to have right all right it's always good to have <laughs> a surplus you know when I first came to the legislature was back in 2009 when they said welcome to the legislature we're going to cut 20 percent of the budget yeah you that know? was a devastating year for so many people yeah but the good thing is is we went we were very prudent we went back to our base budget so we have a base budget that basically funds the, the necessities and we cut that mm. by two percent Wow. And so we took away all the everything that we budgeted up above that from last session and said, no, that's gone. Mm -hmm. And then we went back to the base budget, took 2% out. And so we have a very good process, a very unique process in the state mm -hmm. of Utah with that. Mm -hmm. And there's a very good reason for that. We'll pass that base budget in the first uh, 10 to 14 days of the session. Mm -hmm. 
so that if all else fails and everything goes and falls apart, we actually have a budget when we leave the session. Which has happened the other. Yeah. yeah, almost happened. <laughs> came very close. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, anything else you want us to know? You know, I don't think so. Just I want to say thank you to everybody for being patient. And uh, hopefully you've been able to be safe. Uh, unfortunately, there's been some tragic situations with COVID. Yeah. Uh, it is not benign. For many people, it is kind of benign. Mm -hmm. You know, many people that contract COVID, it's the symptoms are pretty bad. Right. But for some, it's just not benign. It's very deadly. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we, we appreciate your patience. It's It's been a ongoing learning experience and it will be for a while. Uh, but as things start to roll out, if, you know, and I, I, I can't tell you how disheartening it is to see the, the unrest in the country with some of the things that have gone on the last few days and, and a few months with the violence and the, the protesting. You know, quite frankly, I just, I have no problem. I, I'll defend to the day that the right for anybody to express their opinion mm -hmm. and completely different than mine, you know, mm -hmm. but, but please do that peacefully and civilly. Mm -hmm. You know, that's all I can ask. Yeah. And, and as you, as you approach legislation and you approach policy, please approach it with that in mind that there is another side to every piece of legislation and every, every policy we discuss. And please try to look at it from that lens. Try to put yourself in that other person's position and look at it through that lens. And I, I've something that some of my colleagues in this, in the Senate and the House have taught me, and I've, I, you know, it's, it's hard to do. But when you do that, it, you, you find better policy because of it. Yeah. Well, there's, I think there's very few things that are just black and white. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, so much of the legislation is, is fairly complex and then there's a lot of moving parts to it. And, mm -hmm. and so I, I appreciate that, that perspective. And mm -hmm. I hope as people are weighing in that they'll remember that. And I would suspect that as a legislator, um, having someone approach you with sort of a logical uh, discussion rather than screaming and calling names might get the point across a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I had a good friend who used to always say you get a lot more done with honey than you do so. That's right. That's <laughs> right. All right. Well, I think we are going to wrap it up because you've got to go legislate. James. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I failed to introduce us at the beginning. So I am Jenny Hendricks and you're watching Color Country Politics along with my co-host, the very quiet partner, <laughs> the very silent but attentive Jesse Harris. And thanks again for joining us today. And Senator Vickers, thank you so much for coming in and giving us this preview. It's always fascinating to hear what's going on yeah, at the legislature. My pleasure. So, thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody. We'll see you on the next episode. You've been listening to Color Country Politics, a production in cooperation with Utah Politico Hub and graciously sponsored by Century 21 Prestige Realty at 121 North Main Street, Cedar City. Special thanks to Amoeba Crew for use of their song, Background Indie Rock, licensed under Creative Commons. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Also, check out our YouTube channel where we post video of our interviews. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and our website at www.colorcountrypolitics.com.